Good morning. Let us pray. Father, thank you for encouraging us this morning with music, with gospel hymns that remind us that you are the king. And this terrestrial ball in all the universe is yours. And yet, as vast as this universe is, you've called us unto yourself. You've redeemed us through the blood of the Lord Jesus, our King of Peace. And no matter the storms that are raging right now, this very moment in our lives, there's a quiet stream. It's our Lord Jesus, the one that was not scared when he was walking on water, unlike Peter the one that calms the raging storms and the seas just by the sheer sound of his voice. And so I pray, Father, now that you would help us to understand the magnitude of your love for us through the cross. That the cross screams to us love, forgiveness, mercy, and grace. Thank you that we have another Sunday where we can gather as your people and sing unto you and now actively participate through the preaching of your word. May your word take root in our hearts, that you may be pleased to produce the fruit of righteousness that, you've already, that you have already prepared for us to walk in, those good works. Be with the children, anyone here that doesn't know you, Father. May they come to know who Christ is and what he has done. Pray for Edwin as well as he's there in the DR, and, and you're using this saint, this ambassador, this co-laborer of yours, your son. Help them to preach faithfully and clearly. And help me as well, Father, and all your children that are preaching here this morning, wherever they may be, that your word would be exposited and Christ would be exalted to the glory of his name. And in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Many of us here in South Florida are familiar with storms and hurricanes, and I Precisely chose that, uh, told uh, Tony, and um, you know, this is, I think the song is fitting for the passage that we're going to have this morning, because many times that's exactly what we feel like. I think none of us here this morning can say, I don't know what a storm is like as a believer. All of us at some level have encountered storms. We know what that's like here in, in South Florida with hurricanes, Right? Um, usually those times of hurricanes tend to um, bring about two, two groups of people emerge, right? The ones that are freaking out and buying everything the moment that that map starts coming and you see that little tropical depression forming off the east coast of Africa, off the west coast of Africa, excuse me. And then the people that are like, bro, it ain't going to come here. Are we buying water for what? It ain't going to come. I mean, it's... It, nothing's going to happen. It needs to be quiet. I mean, I remember being in Orleans, in New Orleans, sorry, um, for, uh, for work, and they had just, like, years prior to that, they had that devastating hurricane over there, and, and they're like, you're a hurricane? Oh, we just stock up on beer, man. Like, this is, like, the, this is their time, yeah, and they, they're, like, completely, uh, you know, nonchalant about it. So these things tend to happen, and, and I think 
uh, for us, uh, Matthew 7, what Jesus tells the disciples right there in Matthew 7, right? It's telling them there's this, there's this parable that there's those that build their houses on the rock and those that build their houses on sand. Why does Jesus use that illustration to point a spiritual truth, right? Jesus, yeah, being a carpenter, but he wasn't interested in, in seeing you know, how beautiful your mansion's going to be. What he's reminding us that in our lives, just like the same way you build a house and you build upon a house, the house will only be as good as its foundation. Whatever you build upon that house will only, upon that foundation, is as good as that foundation. That's it. That's why Jesus tells us, he reminds us in Scripture, he's our cornerstone, right? And we need to be reminded of that. I mean, you've seen those news reports. You've seen those, those uh, newscasts when all of a sudden you see those mudslides. Why do those mudslides happen? Hmm? Yeah, the mud is giving way. The foundation is giving way. You see these torrential rains come, and that's what Jesus says. The rain, the, rain, the winds, all those things are going to come and howl. But the one that's built on the rock is the one that's going to stand. The one that's not on solid ground, that's the one that's going to struggle. And that's the one that eventually, within time, it might not happen on the first hurricane. It might not happen in the first torrential rain. It might happen on the second, third, fourth. Who knows? And for us, that's the same way. The question that you need to ask yourself is, what is the foundation that you are building your life upon? Is it self-help? Is it religion? Is it your bank account? Is it your aim at having influencer status on Instagram and, and TikTok and having your videos go viral? What, what, what are you building on? Your academic achievements? We, again, we've rehashed this and, and said so many times, but it's a reminder that we need to take these things into account. Is it your work promotion? Being able to scale the ladder. Why do I mention those things? Because Scripture tells us that there's such thing as empty philosophies. Scripture tells us that there's actually things that are empty and won't lead you to anything. And as a matter of fact, storms do that. Winds do that. They expose your foundation. They will expose where you're trusting because when the storms come, that's the first thing that you're going to go to. That is the first thing that you're going to run to to help you and save you. So if you have enough in your bank account, guess where you're going to go? Everything's going to be resolved with money. Your position at work, it's going to be resolved with your network connections. How many people do you have? How many have you, linked, uh, have you uh, networked with on LinkedIn? Because those are the ones that you're going to start calling and, and figuring out, hey, man, I need this. And sometimes the Lord, yeah, he'll use those means. But those means were never meant to be the foundation upon which we're called to build upon our lives. And so today, as we read chapter 27 in Acts, it's a rather lengthy passage, but this passage goes together with chapter 28. Because what we're countering now in Acts 27, as you're turning there, is Paul's journey to Rome. Why is Paul going to Rome? Because now he's going to testify before Caesar. And as he's going to testify before Caesar, he's going to go ahead and and he's going to not necessarily take the most, uh, not that he purposely had a say in it, but the route's not going to be the safest, right? He's going to encounter some tribulation on his way to Rome. And so be mindful that chapter 27 goes together with chapter 28. Today we're only going to deal with 
chapter 27, okay? And as we read, pay close attention to these three groups of people. We have the attitude of the sailors, the ship, Paul, and also our Savior. This is why I titled this, the message, A Ship, A Servant, A Saint, actually. A, a Ship, A Saint, and A Savior. Okay? We're going to see these three groups in this passage here. So, as you are there in Acts 27, read with me now as you follow along. This is what it says. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in, in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Sinaitis. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete of, Sal of Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lasea. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the, on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, that is, to overthrow it, to throw it overboard. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When their sun nor stars appeared for many days, no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. The ship is going down. That's, that's the picture that Luke is painting for us. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and have not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God of, to whom I belong and whom I worship. 
And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Verse 27. When the fourteenth night had come, and we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were, that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding, found 20 fathoms. Rather than find how much water is underneath the ship. A little farther on, they took a, a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men, these men stay on the ship, stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate food for themselves, ate some food for themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship throwing out the wheat into the sea. Verse 39. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach, but striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable. And the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land. And the rest of the planks were on the pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. And this is the reading of God's word. I know it's a lengthy passage, but it's hard to stop at a point here because any, it's, it's all one event, and it continues on to actually chapter 28. So I'm going to take this first part here, a ship, a saint, and a savior. The ship, let's look at the ship first. What we immediately notice in verse 18 is that they're afraid and they're stressed, are they not? And some of you know when you've been under stress, you know your body tends to produce cortisol, right? And cortisol can cause us to do one of two things. Well, it could cause us to eat, well, this, it's this whole fight or flight, right? It, under stress, if it's just a momentary light stress, then you're probably going to go ahead and just overeat and find some food just to put in your mouth. Why? Because it's going to distract you from whatever it is, from whatever it is to, um, that's, that's causing that stress. Alternatively, you can also do the other thing. If you're really under stress, you actually might go without eating. Why? 
because your brain is so consumed with the stress. The level of stress is so high that at this point, you're not even listening to the cues your body's giving you. Hey, put something in your system. You need to eat. And that is exactly what's happening to the ship. That's exactly what's happening to these 276 people on board. They're not eating. You're talking about 14 days. That's two weeks without eating. And I'm reminded of what David said in the psalm, in Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. See, because when you're under stress, there's two ways you can handle it. You can start relying on your own and just hope that it goes away. Or you can do what David did in the psalm and put your trust in the Lord. That's exactly what he says. David says, when I am afraid. David never said, I will never be afraid. I no, he was a man, just like anybody else, and he was afraid. And yet his response, and mind you, David was persecuted for a while by Saul. David was not just put into the king and he just you know, reigned from a palace. He was hunted. He was prayed after by Saul. He hid in caves. And yet David can say, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Of course, you look at the ship and you say, well, they're not believers. Very quite possibly so. Because that's the natural way for man to handle stress. Apart from Christ, you look to yourself. Apart from Christ, you look to figure it out. But in Christ, you know the one that holds all things. You know the one that controls the raging seas as we sung. And you also know the one that can calm those raging seas. Not only are they afraid and stressed, but they trust in their own wisdom. Had Paul not warned them? Paul told them clearly, this is not a good idea. But what happens? The Syrian says, hey, we're going to go along with what the ship owner says. It's not safe. And again, wisdom, their human wisdom tells them this harbor, we're in the wintertime, right? Adriatic Sea, agency, if you know where that is, over there in Crete and in the Mediterranean, just north of the Mediterranean. And so you have this area out there, and it's wintertime. The harbor that they're in, not going to do it for the wintertime. Not safe. Take off. Go. Weigh anchor and go. But Paul had warned them. Paul had warned them, don't do this. It's not a good idea. Similarly, we do the same thing, don't we? I mean, we were just talking in the budget meeting. There's so many plans that we have. And things that make sense to us, logically, financially, spiritually. But is that what the Lord has called us to do? Is that what the Lord has called you to do? Again, we can use our human logic, and the Lord has given it to us. God has given us reason. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do it, but we need to be careful. Because many times, that's what we end up doing. Instead of seeking the Lord, we seek our own human wisdom. Or we seek the wisdom of somebody else. And the Lord has given us, yes, I, I am aware what Scripture says, that there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. But ultimately, you are responsible to know what your Father is telling you to do. 
I might go to my brother Choi and ask him, brother, what do you think? And he can give me his opinion as a, as a believer, as one who wants the best for me and has, brother, I see X, Y, and Z. It makes sense that you go through with that. But my responsibility, because on that day, I can't tell the Lord, well, my brother Troy counseled me. I mean, he, he is your son, right? I don't get that luxury. Neither do you, because we have to seek the Lord's wisdom. Why do we seek it? Because we know the one, like I said, that holds all things. Just take inventory of your life. Look back on all the decisions you've made. I am positive that you, just like me, have a lot of decisions that, that you made that you regret, that you wish you can take back. Decisions that you thought made sense and didn't. Later on, you come to find out, by God's grace, that wasn't the right move. Those are the things that we need to be aware of. Seek the Lord. Seek His will. Because if you're not in Christ, that fear, that storm when it comes raging, it's going to overwhelm you. You've seen those videos when all of a sudden those, uh, I love them because the, Insta, the Instagrammers and those influencers, you know, and those bloopers, see them on the beach trying to be all cool and all of a sudden you see that wave come from behind and just knocks them out, wipes them out completely. That's what happens in life. In the meantime, you're trying to play it cool, you're trying to play it, you know, I got this. And then you, here comes that, that breaking wave that takes you out. And then your foundation gets exposed, as I said moments earlier. Apart from Christ, you're going to be hopelessness. And that's exactly what happens. Don't we see that to the ship? At last, all hope was abandoned. Consider the weight of those words. We've all seen the movies in the Titanic. Famous ship, maiden voyage, setting sail across the Atlantic, only to hit an iceberg. Now, when that water is rushing in faster than what you can remove, that's it. And that's what happens when you're not in Christ. You will lose hope. Maybe put it another way, you're going to grow into despair. You have nowhere else to turn to because all the resources, everything that you built your life upon is no longer there available to you. Some of these sailors could have had a, whole, a, a big bank account. Guess what? They don't have access to it right there. That bank account ain't going to save them. You could have been a master mariner. The, the ship is falling apart. What are you going to do? It's falling apart. So now you're at the mercy of what's going to happen. I mean, you're, you're, you're hopeless. So the picture looks grim. And death for many of them seems inevitable. There's no upside at this point. The act of desperation is shown there. What do they start doing? Grab the cargo. Start throwing it overboard. Take it off. The ship's tackle. I mean, you're talking about the ship's tackle. You're in the Navy. I mean, you're talking about the very things that the ship needs to be able to properly anchor, to probably tie, to moor. I mean, all those things that the ship needs, you're just throwing it overboard at this point. You're just trying to lighten the ship. The cargo, everything. The cargo that, by the way, they're responsible for. I mean, if I, I work in the shipping industry and we, and we ship commodities, if anything happens to our cargo, 
All the lawyers get involved. Everybody starts lawyering up. There's damage to cargo at any level. The first thing, the lawyers are front and center. They're throwing it all overboard. So imagine the liability, but at this point, their lives are more important, right? And I think of Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. At this point, they just put it away. But here comes Paul. What do we see with Paul? Paul's on the ship. He knows that his destiny is Rome. And why is he going to Rome? He's going to Rome to testify before Caesar. And I love Paul's testimony. and It's evident. His testimony is character. The centurion tells him. He shows him grace and favor. Why would the centurion show grace and favor to a prisoner? If for no other reason than his character, he's not a threat. He wasn't wondering if Paul was going to go ahead and flee. Unlike the youth on Friday that were trying to tackle me. A youth group playing manhunt. Led by the one over there, my son. Here I am. Here I am, the warden. And there, and your son was part of it too, by the way. Um, holding on to me because they're in prison and I'm holding on to the door so they don't escape. And they're just one, they're hanging on to my arm. The other one's holding on to my other arm. The other one's holding on to my leg trying to pull me away so they can all escape. If they were on that ship, they would have found no favor with, with, with that centurion. Paul, on the other hand, his character, his testimony is, I don't want to say impeccable, but it's definitely above reproach. Enough so that the centurion finds favor with him. And he warns the crew. I mean, Paul, in many ways, could have been an honorary sailor. I mean, he's been sailing. He's been on three missionary trips, sailing on ships. I would assume that he knows a thing or two about sailing. Paul, verse 10, warns them. He warns them, tells them it's not a good idea. But you know what else is interesting with Paul here? Is that Paul is afraid. Sometimes we tend to think of Paul as this superhuman apostle, the one that, hey man, I'm 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 tight with the Lord Jesus, man. I they ain't not even gonna bring me down. Bring whatever you want, send it my way. I got this. That's not what Paul says. Paul is afraid. Paul is afraid. How do I know that? Because of verse 24. Verse 24 tells us that the Lord Jesus, that, that the Lord God had to send an angel sent the Lord angel and told him, what are his first words? Do not be afraid, Paul. That must mean something, doesn't it? It must mean that Paul was afraid. Paul takes time to encourage the men the way he was encouraged by that angel. There's 276 of them. And he's telling them, take heart, men, in verse 25. Excuse me. The encouragement is anchored in verse 25. What does verse 25 say? Verse 25 says, So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. His faith is anchored. I mean, sorry, his encouragement is anchored in his faith in God. It's not anchored in his own wisdom unlike the ship that we just saw, his faith is anchored that what my God has told me will be so.
Not once has he ever let me down. He will accomplish his purposes. So he encourages them with that. Because their source is precisely not God, but Paul's is. And at this point, they have no hope. So that's the first encouragement. What's the second encouragement that Paul gives? He gives them another encouragement. But he doesn't tell them, again, guys, I told you already. What did I tell you moments ago? Why are you guys fretting? No. He gives thanks, he gives thanks to God in the presence of all of them in verse 36. It's interesting. Because you read that and you think, the ship is going down. And Paul stops to break bread. Hey, can you not find something else to do, Paul? I mean, you're giving thanks? And do you not see what's going around us? Do you not see what's happening in the ship? We have no tackle, Paul. And there is Paul, breaking bread and giving thanks to God. Interesting, isn't it? I suspect that Paul does that because he's recalibrating his heart. He is refocusing his thoughts, his heart, his mind on where it belongs. The same one that told the Philippians, be thankful in all things. Paul is practicing what he had written to the Philippians time ago. Because it's very easy to go ahead and say, hey, hey buddy, you lost your job? Rejoice in the Lord. What? You're, you're, hey, you just, something happened to your family? Don't worry, it's okay, the Lord knows. That, doesn't, that isn't what Paul does. Paul actually takes the time to say, Father, thank you. Thank you for this. Why? Why would Paul do that? He's not repeating a mantra of like, I'm not going to be afraid, I'm not going to be afraid, I'm not going to be anxious, I'm not going to be anxious. That's not what he does. He gives thanks. Because those mantras don't work. Psalm 57, 1-3. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. That's the heart that, that Paul at this moment is counting on. He's recalibrating to have that heart, to focus, to have his entire heart, his mind, everything focused on Christ and the truth of his word, on the character of his God, the character of his Father, that he will never leave me nor forsake me, that I will be with you till the end. The words of Jesus in Matthew 28. So when you do that, Philippians 4, you guys know Philippians 4, right? Oh, that famous pattern, yeah, he strengthens me. Well, this is what he needs. This is what he's talking about. Because when you recalibrate your heart and your mind, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guarded Paul's heart and his mind in Christ Jesus. When you recalibrate your heart and your mind to the truth of God's word, to who God is, 
the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. In Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4, 6-7. through 7. And That's why Paul can write later on, a couple of verses after that, in, in Philippians 4, in verses 11-13, through 13, For I have learned in whatever situation... Did Paul know that he was going to go through a ship that was going to run aground and possibly fall apart in the middle of the, uh, of the sea? Paul didn't, Paul didn't know that when he wrote that. But Paul saying, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so you see Paul's heart encouraging the sailors that have fretted and lost all hope. But then you see verse, uh, the, the Savior. We say, Where do you see Jesus here? He's all over this. Do you not see his hand? Why is Paul going to Rome? Because they decided to put him on a ship? No, because Jesus had told them some time ago, you will testify about me to Caesar. You're going to Rome. And Paul's going to Rome. You might read verse 1 and say, and when it was decided that we should sail for Italy... You think the crew decided that? God had already decided, had already foreordained that. That's, that's God's counsel. Proverbs 16:9. Man can plan all he wants, but the Lord ordains his steps. Paul could have said, I'm not getting on that ship. Guess what? He would have just gotten on another one because he wasn't going to get to Rome. Right? And so we know this in Scripture. Jesus, think of Jesus. How many times did they try to capture Jesus in his ministry? How many times did they try to grab hold of him and take him in? And he would slip away. Why? Because his time had not yet come. His time was going to come. It just wasn't when man had chosen that his time was going to come. Things are going to be done God's way, not man's way. And that is something that sometimes we lose sight, especially when the storms come. See, the soldiers had the plan to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. They were ready to do away with him. You remember that, that story when Jesus sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee? It's there. Matthew. Jesus had just fed the 5,000. And here they go, and Jesus tells them, go on, go on to the other side. He retreats, goes to pray. Then all of a sudden, these disciples of his, who had just seen Jesus perform a miracle, feeding 5,000, he tells them, go to the other side. You think Jesus wasn't aware that there was going to be a storm in Galilee? You think Jesus was unaware that they were going to encounter that, the boat and they were going to start fighting? He knew it. And he sent them. Why? Why would Jesus do that? I mean, isn't God all about your safety and your peace and your comfort? Isn't that what God is all about? He's here to bless you. He's here to have you live in, in green pastures all day long. And you forget that there's valleys. And sometimes, yes, your Father can send you in a valley. 
just like he did the disciples. But with what goal does he do it? He doesn't do it just to laugh at them and sit aside in Matthew 14 and be like, oh, yeah, look at them fretting. He's not doing it for the giggles. He did it at that moment to show something mag- magnificent about himself. At that moment, what does he do? They're there. They're rocking. They're afraid. And here comes Jesus. So much so that they like, is that a ghost? Is, is that Jesus? Who is that? So much so that he says, do not be afraid. Those, those, those ever comforting words, do not be afraid. You can have storms and winds and raging seas and raging storms all around you. But as a child of God, he has you. He has me. And he could have sent you into that storm. And you're wondering, why would the enemy send me into a storm? Because the enemy doesn't always, it's not always the enemy. We want to think, oh, well, what have I done to deserve this, oh God? No. Maybe perhaps the Lord has brought you to this to show you himself, who he is. Just like G- they, the disciples at that moment needed to see that Jesus is God and he can go ahead and calm the storms with the sheer voice, with the sound of his voice, he can tell the seas to calm themselves and they become calm because they obey the voice of their creator, the God of this universe. God was showing off in that moment. Jesus was showing them who he was. Do not be afraid. And not only does he, had he already foreordained what Paul was going to do, but he's providing in the storm. When you're asking me, well, how is he providing in the storm? How can God possibly provide in the storm? Well, he's exposing their foundation. I said it earlier. He's, he's telling you, you have nothing to fear. Isaiah 41.10. Everybody loves Isaiah 41.10. I've seen it in, in Scripture and verses and hanging in people's houses. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. You can read it many times and you'll run. You'll walk past it in your kitchen, in your living room, wherever it is. But you know when that verse becomes real? When you have a storm in your life. When you have a storm in your life, then all of a sudden you realize. This entire time I was banking on something else. I had drifted from my God. I put my trust in someone else other than him. Yet God's mercy and grace is not just reserved for his children. He is showing the ship mercy. He is showing these 276 men grace. This is the kind of God that we serve, beloved. That the sun doesn't just shine on the righteous, but also on the unrighteous. That's his common grace. He's doing that for them. Because he said, Paul, you're going to go to Rome, but you're not going to lose any of them that are with you. Why do you think Paul had to tell them, hey, they can't leave? If you're getting off that boat and they tell you, hey, this guy, this prisoner is telling you that I can't save myself? Whatever, dude. I'm going. I'm jumping into the water. I'm gone. You're only going to see my back. And he's actually telling them, He's encouraging Paul, Paul, they will all be with you. You're not going to lose any of them. 
He provides them sustenance? What are the chances they're on a cargo ship with wheat? They're shipping grains. So they have sustenance even on the ship to sustain them. That wasn't by accident. The Lord is providing for them. Paul encourages them just like Paul encouraged them. Paul encouraged, uh, excuse me, how the Lord encouraged Paul. Paul is just encouraging them as well through the angel. Beloved, it's important that you constantly check your foundation for cracks. It's important that you begin to see why are these cracks coming in my foundation of life? Don't let the storm catch you by surprise where all of a sudden you find out, I didn't notice that there. I had been drifting from the Lord this entire time. Because the Lord has been trying to grab your attention, but all you've been doing is pushing Him away. All you've been doing is putting a deaf ear, I don't want that right now. I prefer to be happy where I am. Oh, but the Lord's un- the Lord loves us enough. He loves us enough to not leave us as we are, doesn't he? That he will complete the work that he started in his children, in this church, in his family. That's the beauty of it. Unbeliever, if you, don't know, know, if you do not know Christ today, what is your foundation? Kids, what is your foundation? Who are you trusting in? Because I can guarantee you anything other than Christ is sinking sand, as the hymn says. It's sinking sand. And Paul's life is spared. Because God promised that to Paul. He would testify. And so in conclusion, we have, we saw the hopelessness of the crew. We saw the character, the testimony of Paul, his gratitude in the midst of disaster, his sovereignty care, his, uh, the Lord's sovereign care for Paul and the crew. But you know what's even more mind-boggling than all of this? When you look at this ship and it's going down, it's natural for man to go and save themselves. But when you think of Christ, you think of one that would have gone down with the ship. You think of one that, as a matter of fact, went down with the ship. Jesus didn't abandon ship. Jesus didn't abandon his mission. When you start considering what Christ has done for you, we're about to take communion here in a, in a couple moments. And you start thinking of these things. You think, Lord, you would have gone down with the ship and you did so that one day I can make you safely ashore. So that one day you can make it to the shore of eternity in the presence of your Father. He encouraged Paul. Paul encouraged the crew. And the Lord is encouraging every single one of you here this morning. He encouraged you on the cross when He said it is finished. You don't have to fret and worry when the storms come and they howl. Because in the midst of everything that you have and whatever loss you may incur, 
the Lord Jesus took care of the most wretched storm of all, which is sin and death. So when you actually take time, you can actually say as a believer, as a child of God, Oh, death, where is your sting? Because the Lord Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Never again another sacrifice to be made for sin. Once and for all, Christ on the cross paid for. He took upon himself the Father's wrath. Beloved, if, if that doesn't bring joy to your heart, if, if, only, if the only thing that brings joy to your heart is you working more and doing more things for the Lord, praise the Lord that should. But the most important and the greatest truth of all is that Jesus died in your place. And that today, because he rose again, we can say death is dead. Death is dead.